Hey everyone, just a reminder that we are recording remotely while we're quarantined, uh, so the sound might be slightly compromised, but hopefully not too bad. Enjoy! Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Normally, we uh, begin each week by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we end with something hopeful. Um, but this is going to be the last week in, in kind of a series that we've been doing um, where we basically are just going to just be reacting acting to the um, the election today and the good things, the bad things, the trouble and complicated things that have been stirred up, um, the undemocratic things, LOL, um, and just kind of talk about where we're at, what the issues that we see going forward, what's happening in Georgia. Um, and then starting next week, we'll be back to our regularly uh, <laughs> scheduled programming of uh, one one issue and then we'll do our WCUs and everything so yeah all that jazz but first four seasons total landscaping (laughs) one of my favorite little nuggets of news from from this past week oh yes brought me nothing but joy when Trump's legal team (laughs) did a little little press event um, at Four Seasons Total Landscaping, mm-hmm. and Rudy Giuliani is, and they're saying it's, uh, it was not a mistake that they did it on purpose. You know, that's they wanted to go somewhere where they'd have a lot of. Apparently, it's an area with a lot of Trump supporters. Um, but I still don't believe that because uh, <laughs> Trump definitely thought it was the Four Seasons at first because he tweeted it, and then he had to send out like a corrected tweet about it. Um, actually, being a like gardening shop. So, anywho, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, <laughs> there were a lot of a lot of good memes around it. Um, a lot of good tweets. There was one that was like, "I lost my virginity to George Clooney total landscaping." <laughs> <laughs> that one made me laugh. And then it was like Rudy Giuliani's next presser at the Ritz, and it's just him in the supermarket in front of a bunch of Ritz crackers <laughs> stacked up. <laughs> so it's it was just beautiful. It was just like yeah. Someone else said it's like wasn't even written on V for 30 Rock, but seems like a joke from there. Like, it's just, what a beautiful way for it to end if it was over. Um, yeah. <laughs> alas, yeah. it's not. But it was just, it was a really nice moment and a bookend to a certain process and um, very enjoyable for me. Just the <laughs> sheer ridiculousness. And it was next to a, an adult... Uh, like sex shop and across from a crematorium and it's just like that's on brand Giuliani like (laughs) so great yeah Yeah, I really enjoyed that that (laughs) was really fun It uh, also wasn't the guy who was um, next to Giuliani wasn't he a sex offender like yeah um, mm -hmm. also Giuliani you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) seems to be yeah (laughs) Um, yeah, real ragtag crew over there. <laughs> yeah, and like on a fun note, and I think we I mentioned this before we hit record, but it did just kind of like 
remind me because you and I met campaigning for Obama in Philadelphia in 2008. We did. Um, and we, we <laughs> so yeah, we were kind of in these like random odd areas of, of mm-hmm. Philadelphia um, the outskirts, shall we say, probably walking past say. like, you know, crematoriums and sort of weird little off like spaces um, that you wouldn't necessarily see a major campaign like having a press conference in front of. You wouldn't imagine it. But <laughs> there's a lot we may not have imagined. <laughs> um, so it was just, yeah, it was funny. I kind of could picture us like rewinding 12 years and seeing a little baby ass walking past that. We were teeny tiny baby women. Oh my goodness. I know. Uh, uh, Campaigning for Obama. Uh, Seemed so much simpler. Simpler time. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that was hilarious. It was great. It was great. We have Biden. uh, Biden Harris won. That's great. Very the (laughs) least. If you missed it. (laughs) If you're waiting to to hear from us what happened, uh, that's what happened. So that is that is great. That is a victory that is to be celebrated. but it's more complicated than that because it's 2020 in the United States of America. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, we talked about how last week how it was disappointing that there wasn't this like blue wave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and even though we got, there were a lot of states that went for Biden, swing states that we, that were great. It still was such like such close margins. Mm-hmm. Um, and like more like white fifty four percent of white people voted for him in twenty sixteen and then this this year it was fifty seven percent and like more white women voted for him and it's like if only people of color voted it would have gone to Biden like almost every state if not every state mm-hmm. um, and you look at places like Detroit that goes went over ninety percent for Biden you see like black women showing up getting it done Stacey Abrams registering like eight hundred thousand fucking voters mm-hmm. in Georgia via fair fight like you've got all this you know like that's that's who's getting it done like what are yeah. <laughs> white people need to I don't know how we get through to to one another <laughs> toward progress. <laughs> Yeah, I really, it's definitely, it's very sobering, very disappointing um, to see that Trump actually had, I mean, he, he turned out more people for the Republicans, you know, than last time. It, 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 it solidifies the, what I think was, was a fear of mine, but what I was kind of hoping wasn't the case, which is that we all kind of thought hoped that Trump's election was kind of a fluke. A lot of people voting with their middle finger. A lot of people held their nose and voted for him. You know, a lot of people just wanted to send a message, you know, all that, like, that is not really true because that, you know, coming from four years of Trump's atrocious record on everything, we don't have to get into it. um, People said essentially Biden's argument was let's uh, this is a battle for the soul of our nation. Let's come together. And the country said, no, Uh, in in a huge echoing of about 70 million Americans who voted said no. Um, And he only, you know, it was a narrow victory. It was a resound. It's a clear victory. 
it's 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 undisputed we'll get into like all like the margins are are large enough that most states aren't don't really aren't going to need to recount um unlike florida which was only about 500 votes which was crazy in 2000 um but we as a country and i thought about this a lot like because I'm gonna, it's going to be very hard um, to feel like we're, um, Democrats are gonna have to think about their messaging again. Like, how do we message to more people? How do we message to these like white um, suburbs, like white working class people who have who moved further towards Trump in the last four years? And I, and we'll we'll be beating this drum, I think, and having this conversation. But we don't. I don't think we need to change our messaging. I mean, we, we need a better country. We need better countrymen. And um, in the meantime, we take Stacey Abrams's a page out of her book and we go and try to continue to register as many young people, as many people in urban areas. I mean, as, and as we possibly can. Um, and we sort of stop trying. And I, I, I was willing to accept the help of the Lincoln Project. You know, I, I think what they were doing was important. I, I think it was it was shown to not necessarily have been that effective. Their idea was yeah. we're going to get all these Republican men, mostly, um, but Republicans who are moderate, decent people. Those people did not show up and show out for Biden, and we presented them with the most bland, moderate person who was supposed to bring everyone together. And even now, he's he's talking about unity. He's talking about hiring Republicans in his cabinet, and yet that wasn't enough to get Trump held his base and grew. And that is that's something that is really. Um, sobering, chilling, and something that we'll have to really reckon with as we try to understand how to move forward and how to build a real progressive coalition with with power going forward. Yeah. And one thing that would help would be having control of the Senate, certainly. And uh, (laughs) it looks like it's going to come down to the Georgia runoffs. (laughs) Hold Um, on to your butts. (laughs) Hold on to your booties. so there, it, I signed up for eight, just one phone banking shift to start, and then I'll you know look at my CalCal and, and put more in. Um, but you can sign up for phone banking. You can sign up for text banking, although I think it might be full of the text banking. Um, you can donate. There's to Fair Fight, you know, mm-hmm. Stacey Abrams, the, the nonprofit she works with. And um, there are a bunch of other places to donate to as well. You can look it up. I think Marie Claire actually posted um, some recommended places, including Fair Fight and um, other kind of places that look to not like register voters, do voter education, fight voter suppression, you know, all the, all the good things. Um, and the things that Stacey Abrams has shown us work, Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, very important to do what you can, because if we have the Senate, it's going to be so much easier to get things done. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously, if Mitch McConnell's not the majority leader anymore, oh my goodness, can you imagine? Because at this point, it seems like, you know, I saw some interview clip where the reporter was asking Biden, like, how are you going to work with Republicans and the Senate to get things done? And he would just kind of 
said, I will. And it was kind of like a cheeky moment, but it's also like, but how will you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it'd be great if we didn't even have to deal with that uh, <laughs> yeah. as much. Because like, I could see like kind of watered down shit getting passed or like not having big, you know, big fuss made over maybe really, really watered down gun safety stuff, maybe, or, you know, environmental things, maybe watered down, you know. Um, but it'd be hard to get any real progressive shit done with Mitch McConnell in there. And he's not even going to be able to appoint, I mean, Mitch McConnell has already said um, he will oppose like progressive cabinet posts. I mean, it's going to be, he, he can, he can essentially do the, like if, if, if any Supreme court nominations come up, he can do exactly what he did under Obama and he will have the votes to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just, I'm just seeing as like, I have the Washington Post open and it looks like as of 15 minutes ago ish, um, Cal Cunningham's conceding North Carolina, which we mm. like, we thought, yeah. but it still like hurts my so heart. Um, we need to win these races. Um, I just anecdotally, um, I have a cousin who is a freshman at a school in Georgia and we had chatted about a month ago and I sort of said like, Hey, are you registered to vote? You know, you knew I'm going to ask. And she was doing absentee voting from, from New York. Um, and in that moment I was sort of like, you know what? I'm having a nice chat with my little cousin. I'm not going to be like (laughs) my full self right now and be like, Oh, you should really register in Georgia. Um, so let it, I let it slide. And then I just texted her. And so I'm just encouraging people, like, think about anyone that you know in Georgia and just check in with them. Um, because I texted her, I texted her the link. People have until December 7th to register in Georgia if they haven't already. Um, anyone who is turning 18 before, you know, before the election on January 5th, um, you can register. Uh, so you know, if we all kind of contact and nudge the people that we know in Georgia who may not, who may kind of be vaguely aware of this, but aren't as critically engaged as we are, um, you know, we just want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity um, to actually cast a vote if they can. Uh, so just think about that and, and uh, do what you can. <laughs> do what you can. There's also yeah. the, the New Georgia Project is another one just to shout out that they're, um, working with Fair Fight, and they are have been uh, doing a lot of get out the vote registration stuff. So that's one to check out too. Yeah, and the runoff itself isn't until January fifth, so you guys all have time to help and do what you can. <laughs> and the the two um, there are a couple of I mean <laughs> there are a couple of really horrendous things about the GOP candidates Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. David Perdue. Um, was last month uh, at one of his rallies saying Kamala, Mala, 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 like yeah, being like so racist. <laughs> um, and Kelly Loeffler specifically, while they both, um, I've read an article articles that say that they both have profited off of the pandemic. Kelly Loeffler um, will be the wealthiest senator, I believe she is currently, and she. Um, she has profited personally off of the pandemic. When she got inside information about how bad the pandemic was looking to be, she, um, her husband, by the way, is like the head of the, the stock exchange at um, Wall Street Stock Exchange. Um, but she and he uh, bought a lot of um, stock in telecommunications in January when they were getting briefings that they were, Got while they you. were telling people. Yeah. So, 
and she's also proven herself to be like, you know, a Trump brown noser and they're both Trump loyalists and they've actually both, they're continuing to um, foment fear and confusions and, and, and um, baiting their base down in Georgia by calling for the Republican secretary of state um, Raffsberger to resign by, because they said that there's, there was such a problem with voting in Georgia and the Republican um Governor Brian Kemp, who's a piece of trash, um, he threw Rathsberger also under the bus and said that it looked like there were problems. And Rathsberger's like, there were not problems. I am not resigning. I was elected by the people of the state. And he was like, I am a Republican. And the guy who's who was doing um who was doing press all of last week was like, mm-hmm. you can check me out on LinkedIn, on Facebook. It's pretty clear I'm a Republican. Like I wanted this to go the other way, but I mm-hmm. am doing my job the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah. Um, so it's just very, it, and this gets into like kind of the broader things that we're talking about here, but I, and I'm trying very hard to remain calm about this, but it is more than the fringes that are trying to call into question the, the legitimacy of this elect free and fair election. Um, that is extremely dangerous. And the fact that it's coming from Speaker of the House, um, I'm sorry, from, from Leader Mitch McConnell of the Senate, it's coming from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who said today that he like will ensure a smooth transition into Trump's second term. He said that today, it's November 10th, Trump lost. Um, wow. Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz, all these prominent Republicans are saying, are calling into question the validity of this race. And... It is, it's undemocratic. <laughs> it's shameful. Um, there, so far, all the cases and have been basically dismissed um, all across the country. All of Trump's cases um, have been dismissed due to lack of evidence, which we can get into. But it's, it's, there is no substantial evidence of voter fraud in any of these, in, in any of these states that were close. <sighs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. There, <laughs> it's like count the the legal votes and not the illegal votes. And it's like we're not counting illegal votes. What are you talking about? There, there isn't this white. They use like one anecdote of like the, the Elizabeth Warren said her dog was gonna vote, which like also didn't happen. Um, to right. and they turn it into like everyone, all the Democrats are voting and having their vet their pets vote too, and and just making these outrageous claims that just aren't don't hold up any weight. And like you say, the lawsuits get thrown out it's mm-hmm. like right now there aren't any lawsuits that even if they were successful would change the election outcome um, yeah there's like zero evidence of fraudulent ballots so it's yeah. really uh really not a thing it's just grasping grasping for straws there just trump being unable to accept being a loser even though he's always been a loser to some extent yeah <laughs> and just trying to claim the presidency through whatever means he can, but he doesn't have a real like legal course of action there. But it's really scary that there are people trying (laughs) to keep Trump in the White House. It's really scary. And it's not, this is not and should not be a partisan issue. It's, I, I, I posted something and had a conservative, 
um, contact me kind of being like, what are you so scared of? You know, because I basically I said Mitch McConnell is just as undemocratic as we always have been saying that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the response from a conservative was, what are you so afraid of? Like you said, legal, we want legal votes to be counted and illegal votes not to be. And um, <laughs> I am afraid that we have a, a president right now who has surrounded himself with people who, who he has, he, he wants, he's demanded absolute loyalty from. He just mm-hmm. got rid of Mark Esper, the defect, uh, defense secretary yesterday. Um, and it looks like he's threatening to fire FBI director, Chris Ray and a couple of other people who have, you know, said no to a couple of his requests. And I am afraid that at this point he has, Oh, oh he has attorney general Barr who's doing every single thing that, he wants and has that whole theory of the unitary executive. And by the way, Mitch McConnell only came out, both Barr and Mitch McConnell, they had like a meeting yesterday and then they both came out and made public statements supporting Trump. So it was like one of those room where it happens things where, you know, what did they actually talk about and what did they come, what understanding did they come to? I mean, we've already had former President Bush, Condoleezza Rice, like lots of foreign leaders already congratulate Biden because he's, He's been determined the leader. He's been determined the next president. The only time in modern presidential history that there hasn't been um, a, like, and there has, the transition hasn't been initiated immediately after the election is, mm-hmm. is confirmed, um, was 2000 because it was so tied up in the litigation. But that was because of the 500-ish votes in Florida. It was one state. It was a lot of confusion over very specific things. And it was at that, and that was unprecedented. In this now, we have a Trump appointee. Um, what is her name? The Emily Murphy. Emily Murphy, yeah. Yeah, General Services Administration. She needs to formally recognize Biden for the transfer of power and more, and more importantly, the resources and the budget to be able to help get people going and get the Biden administration underway. I mean, the Obama administration apparently did this in the wee hours of the morning. It was done that the night that Hillary Clinton conceded. Um, This is, (laughs) it's frustrating, especially because conservatives have this whole construct of patriotism that they adhere to and, and this construct of law and order. But it, it really only seems like it's 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 what is under what is undergirding the patriotism if it's not an adherence to electoral law to having free and fair elections to supporting a fair transfer of a peaceful transfer of power to uh, graceful concessions that is like what this country is all about that is what our democracy has always stood for and. Trump is putting that in peril. All the people that are around him in the in the GOP are putting it in peril. That is very scary. And I'm I I I am trying to remain calm about this as Biden has sort of I just saw that he gave a speech, I guess like an hour ago that I haven't even I haven't looked at, but people were saying, okay, this is making us feel calmer. He's he's helping everything by by his tone. Um and I just I'm I am deeply saddened that this is, we can't even, it's hard to even focus on Georgia when there's a question of whether or not this election will be conceded by the current occupant of the White House. Yeah, I'm definitely going to rest a lot easier if and when the results are certified Mm -hmm. (laughs) in Mm -hmm. enough states that 
get us to 270 yeah. slash all of the states, but they all kind of do it on different timelines. Um, cause then I'll feel a lot better <laughs> Yeah, once that's in place, because then theoretically, if Trump does try to hide himself, barricade himself in the white house in January, they can just come in and get him out, you know, yeah. but it's just, it's so, it's so hard to believe hundred percent that it's all going to be fine and Biden's going to get in there because I mean, we've been conditioned for four years to expect mm-hmm. like the worst from Trump and his administration and his people and to expect them to fight dirty and ignore the rules. And oftentimes there was success in that, you mm-hmm. know, like they achieved their goals sometimes. Um, and it's heartening that like these lawsuits are getting thrown out and that, you know, even Fox news is saying that, um, that Biden won and that, you know, there's, there, there are those, those things happening, but it's still incredibly <laughs> scary because they pulled off some shit before and it's, they still have a lot of support in the public, even if there's not a lot of public support, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. A lot of people publicly showing their support. So certainly frightening. And, uh, the Supreme court is still scary and, <laughs> and all that and we did not we still have control of the house but we didn't gain as many seats as we were hoping for (laughs) we like we Um, lost seats we thought we were going to gain seats period we lost seats exactly so we don't have as much of a as much of a margin of a of being ahead of them as we had hoped for in terms of cdbds so that's disappointing yeah (laughs) um a little scared. And it's disappointing. Oh, there you go. Sorry. No, you go. <laughs> you. <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> Zoom. I was just going to say that to the house losses, it's disappointing for a number of reasons, but not the least of which is that it has really kickstarted the last thing we fucking need as Democrats right now, which is mm-hmm. some pretty virulent infighting <laughs> between the oh, moderates yeah. and the and the left, um, there was a publicized call that Abigail Sponberger, I think she's a representative from Virginia, moderate Democrat, basically was saying like the ideas of like defund the police and socialism, like I never, you know, that basically almost cost me my seat. I never want to hear those words again. And I would encourage people before you get all hot and bothered um, to just sort of like do a little reading on that, read, um, AOC did an interview with the New York Times that was great, but also Connor Lamb, a moderate, did another interview. So you can really, so to try to understand where both like wings are coming from and then maybe, because I think that the internet is like rife with hot takes and um, I think that um, Abigail Sponberger like... You know, maybe I, I wish she had waited with that, uh, with with those those fifis. But um, we just have to think about how we can uh, move forward from this as a as a unified block. It we just have to, like, we have to because we have to win. We need to start winning. <laughs> so, yeah, like <laughs> that's the most important thing. And then once we have won, we can have discussions about about like why so many people are confused about socialism and defund the police, what, what the nuances of that, you know, but for the me- in the meantime, everyone just pop a chill pill on that 
specific front. We gotta, yeah, we just we gotta win. win. And I mean, on a similar but different issue, there's this this idea that everyone on the the left, everyone who voted against Trump and for Biden, needs to be really nice to Trump supporters, like reach out to Trump supporter in your life. It's like, no, Mm-mm. no, 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 no. And it's like, I, also, I hate it. It's like, I oscillate between you don't, you being Trump supporters, like you don't deserve it. If you support him at this point, like you believe in some pretty awful things. Um, you know, you're, you're against civil rights enough for me not to want to be your buddy, you know, or make you feel like your view's valid. Like, it's not cool or valid to be, like, racist or misogynistic or, you know. Mm-hmm. But then it's, like, there's so many of them mm-hmm. that if we all drift further and further apart, it could get worse, you know, like mm-hmm. civil war that we <laughs> throw around as a possibility here and there. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's it's hard. It's like, what do you do? It's like, you don't deserve it, and I don't want to help you because you are bad. But then it's also like, shit, but if we move further and further apart, we don't communicate anymore, we'll just... You'll get more deeply rooted in your ideas, and shit could get real, real bad. We could have Trump 2.0, you know? Yeah. Real uprising. So it's... It's tricky. <laughs> and it's it's frustrating to be a part of the party that is always uh, <laughs> pushed to compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for people who are Democrats, a lot of being a Democrat is already compromise. I mean, if you're if you're a left, if you're like really left leaning progressive, being a Democrat is already by virtue of like what can ever happen in, in mm-hmm. government, a compromise and it's pragmatic and it's, it's incrementalism at its, fi- at its finest. Um, yeah. Whereas conservatives and, and conservatives, Republicans, it doesn't, I don't think there's as much space between a conservative and a Republican in terms of their needs to compromise. I think that, you get to be fiscally conservative, except for whenever you want to pass something that, hey, blows through the debt ceiling, which is always fake, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get all of your social conservative priorities. That's all, like, they're all kind of wrapped up. There's less room for, like, where there's less less compromise within that bucket of, of voters. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the left, we're always pushed to compromise with Republicans when we've already, we're already compromising kind of in a broad coalition of Democrats. And then we watch Republicans with the, when they have all the levers behave in such a different way than Obama did. When Obama was president, it was team of rivals. He wanted, he wanted people from the Bush administration. He wanted people to push back. He worked really hard to get the healthcare to be something that was bipartisan. So many compromises, it was watered down really far and then in the end they still didn't get any any republicans on board but like all of these his supreme court picks moderates like he tried neil um merrick garland like it's very frustrating the language of compromise 
to hear the language of compromise when Mitch McConnell has been in power for this long. And to and when we have repeatedly, when we've had to endure the last four years um, of Trump, that you that 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 people like John Kasich on CNN uh. would dare to speak to us about compromise when we're already probably not going to have the Senate. If we don't have the Senate, we then we are at the whims and will of Mitch McConnell, who doesn't give a shit about compromise and never has. That's his whole no, calling he, card. He flouts it. He, he, he loves, loves it. it. He loves it. <laughs> he loves the Grim Reaper title. He loves that he can do whatever he wants. And so compromise, I mean, it's just going to be something really interesting. I, I, I think I said the, the pessimist quote now on about like yeah. from last week, but I've really been thinking about it a lot this, this week because, because we are human, like we should try to be optimistic. We should try to push like Stacey Abrams language is so important of like, what else is there to do, but move forward. You have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to compromising, uh, I'm at a real, like you say, it's very, it's very hard to know how to proceed when where we're already at is at a place of like um, a compromise. We're already compromised in a, in a position that is going to be so hard to get any of our policies actually achieved. Yeah, exactly. We've already compromised and we got, we have more we want to do moving forward and they're conservatives trying to push things back, you know, with human rights issues and reproductive rights. And it's like, it's like, yeah, okay, we'll compromise. Then it'll be your turn and then you won't. And then like, it's just Mm -hmm. like, then we'll just keep backsliding or like, you know, one step forward, two steps back. It's, I don't know what it'll take to get real progressive change done, but hopefully, hopefully we are moving in that direction and moving forward. Um, Volunteer to help Georgia. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and volunteer to help Georgia so that we can get the Senate, because when you think about it this way, Democrat Republicans have only won the popular vote once in the last 30 years. Um, One time. Once. So, and now we have a Supreme court that represents only these people who have not been elected by the popular, by popular margins. And if this was a, if it was a, a a true democracy of just direct democracy for president, it wouldn't have even been a question who would have won. You know, we know who would have won. Hillary would have won. Biden easily would have, you know, there are three to 4 million (laughs) consistently Democrat, more like Democrats, Democratic voters. And when you think about it, the entire coast of like the entire West and East Coast, basically, until you get down to the South, don't really matter when we're talking about national elections. And that's, I think, partially why it was so cathartic to see people in our cities, you know, like New York, Mm -hmm. Seattle, celebrating. Because when you talk about the people who feel like the real forgotten voters, I mean, the, it's the people in the blue cities who are on the coasts who just don't matter in terms of voting, a voting population. No one gives a shit because we're quote unquote, not real Americans, not real America and not, 
not voters that are coveted because our because the the coasts are always going to be blue. It's, yeah, it's, we got it's you already. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating. It's it shouldn't be the way it is, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there were some uh, some good and some bad ballot measures. Yes. What happened um, on the abortion front in Louisiana? Uh, they decided to amend the state's constitution by adding language that expressly states that it offers no protections for right to abortion or the funding of abortion. So, like, if Roe was overturned by the Supreme Court then this amendment would prevent the state courts from declaring abortion restrictions unconstitutional at the state level. Mm. Um, so that's sad in Louisiana. Um, and other states have done that. Uh, Alabama did it in 2018. West Virginia did it in 2018. Um, but then in better news for reproductive rights uh, in Colorado, they rejected the um the ban on abortion that would start at 22 weeks of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is good. It would have made doctors who perform abortions at 22 weeks face fines of $5,000 and and all that. So now Colorado remains one of seven states that don't have abortion restrictions past a specific point in pregnancy. So apparently uh, women from more than 30 states have traveled to Colorado to access abortions. Mm. So it's interesting because it has, of course, has ramifications within Colorado, but also in neighboring states that maybe don't have access. So that was good. That is good. Yeah. And then, you know, a few places like Jersey legalized marijuana recreationally. So like cool beans, Oregon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what off. <laughs> yeah. All the drugs go for it. Love did, it. I mean, they did legalize all of the drugs in small, I mean, yeah, I think it was it Portland or Oregon. I, I thought it was Oregon. I thought it was. I just <laughs> let's look it up. Oregon legalizes drugs. Yeah, they decriminalize <laughs> no jail time for small amounts of heroin, all the street drugs, basically. So it is good, you know. It's like that's part of what. Uh, it's one contributor to racism within like policing and jailing is the, uh, you know, white people and people of color use and sell drugs at the same rates, but people of color, of course, are put in jail more often for it. So when you decriminalize drugs, it's one way to address it. And uh, then you can also go do some drugs, <laughs> but it's also, it's, it just reinforces the idea that drugs are, drug abuse is a is a medical a medical need not mm-hmm. a you know something that you need to be incarcerated for mm-hmm. so yay yeah. Oregon cute love it hilarious <laughs> they're on another level everyone else is we're just barely <laughs> I know I mean Washington we got some good shit going on but uh yeah, yeah. We're, not, we're not there <laughs> we're t- <laughs> We're not there. We did make it so that the sheriff's position is um, appointed rather than elected, which will, which I'm down for. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll also widen kind of the candidate pool that they can select from and 
could help that like redefine the role in such a way that potentially maybe in Washington state sooner rather than later, we can have a setup where people don't have to just call like the fire or police, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there'll be a mental health crisis interventionalist person that you can call for when it's, it's just someone having a mental health um, mm-hmm. crisis so that they don't get killed by the police, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be good. Yes. Oh, and people went, loved, love parks. <laughs> it's like, I think being all cooped up in, indoors or something, but uh, yeah, like unprecedented numbers of, of funding for parks and open space open spaces. So 48 of 49 national measures passed, which is a 98% success rate. And um, since 1988, the average is 76%. So that's pretty, pretty cool beans. It's good for, it's good to conserve land in the Mm -hmm. climate crisis times and um, kind of go in a different direction than Trump's administration has been going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was really nice to hear. Um, There were uh, at least two gay women elected to office in blue voting uh, counties in Trump, you know, Trump red states of uh, Ohio and uh, South Carolina, um, including one woman who um, said that she was fired um, for just, you know, being who she is. Um, and now she just beat, beat out the guy who fired her um, for sheriff. So that's love. a story we love to see. Love to see. Uh, and apparently she's very, uh, she was outspoken about um, police accountability and racial justice and stuff. So it's just like double win. Yeah. Um, and then another good thing in terms of representation is uh, in 2020 election, voters elected six transgender candidates to state office. Um, so that's going to increase the number of trans elected officials in state legislatures from four to seven nationwide. And one particular uh, one that is great is a trans woman, Danica Rome, uh, defeated Bob Marshall in Virginia, and Bob Marshall wrote the anti-trans bathroom bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that tastes sweet as well. Um, it's important to have, you know, we we mention these these wins because representation matters, and we should have a governing body that looks like the American public, not just a bunch of old white dudes. There could be some old white dudes. Don't mm-hmm. worry. There could be a few. We've got old white dudes in the in the world, but we need to uh, shift mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Yes. Ugh. Scrolling through my notes to find the other any, any of the other like noteworthy things. Noteworthy yeah. good things. <laughs> well, a poopy one is Madison Cawthorn being elected. Um, <laughs> 25-year-old, he was the one who, there was like a a public letter written by over 150 of his former schoolmates from college that spoke to his sexually predatory behavior, um, Mm -hmm. as well as lying and vandalism for good measure. Um, And they said that he was unfit for Congress or as representative of the conservative Christian school. So yeah, he would like coerce, yeah, he was a sexual predator. So Mm -hmm slash is he was elected so yeah he's elected hate to see it 
I hate to see it. You hate to see it. And when he won, he like tweeted someone. He was just like, the night that he won, he tweeted someone being like, cry about it or like cry more lib, you know? And it's just uh, like, you're gross. You're so gross. I mean, I, I just, grow up. AOC will tear him to shreds. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be ding. cute. Yeah. It's going to be cute. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking cute. One funny thing too, I just want to throw this out because I haven't stopped thinking about it this week is, um, Ian Milheiser, uh, he's, he tweeted that, um, when in looking ahead to, oh, by the way, because I've also been like studying the 2022 Senate map, (laughs) 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 um, optimistically, it looks like there's a Wisconsin seat coming up. There's a Pennsylvania seat coming up, uh, Marco Rubio in Florida, but I'm not going to get my hopes up because Florida, Um, yummy. Yeah, at the potential. Um, but so this guy, Ian Milheiser, said, just tossing this out, Wyoming Senator John Barrasso won his last race by 75,000 votes, a landslide because no one lives in Wyoming. It would cost Michael Bloomberg 7% of his fortune to pay 80,000 Democrats $50,000 each to live in Wyoming long enough to vote in a Senate election. <laughs> it was just like, oh, well. I mean, I would do that. I would just move to Wyoming if Mike Bloomberg was going to just pay me to just be there so I could just cast a vote to just flip a Wyoming seat. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's not as awful of an idea when you think about the Electoral College and how it takes power away from Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> if everyone had, if, if it was just popular, well, then you wouldn't need to do it if it's just popular vote. Yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> like, if that's the way it works, let's just play this game then. Yeah. Well, I guess Andrew Yang and his family, not to vote there, but are temporarily moving down to Georgia to campaign and stuff. We love that. Andrew. We yeah. love Andrew. I think he'll have a cabinet seat. You know, I don't know. Yeah, that's a glimmer of hope is the 15 cabinet positions that will be ooh, I know. cleaned out, starting afresh. Hopefully there won't be too many Republicans in there. I know. I saw that he was considering, Politico had an article that he's considering for commerce or for treasury. I forget which one. Um, like the CEO of the now defunct Quibi, and she's a Republican. And I was like, thinking um why <laughs> why though why though <laughs> biden bitey boy come on uh yeah, well, he talked about unities but you know, doing it i guess <laughs> i know just uh, but yeah goodbye nancy devos like just think about if you're feeling glum as i feel like i frequently just fall right into the glum <laughs> a glum pothole every five feet um <laughs> a glum hole alert uh, glum hole <laughs> sounds so gross yeah, sounds sticky avoid the glum holes by uh thinking about your least favorite people in Trump's cabinet and how they're not going to be there. Nancy DeVos, mm-hmm. I think, is the one that's like, yeah. bye, bitch. Oh, my God. And if, like, Jared Kushner goes to jail, I will be so... Ooh. Yeah. Put them all in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Love it. So, yeah, overall, I mean, this election... Uh... <laughs> Big old mixed bag. Big old mixed bag. I mean, wonderfully, indescribably amazing that if, if Trump's out of there in January and we get Biden in there and we can do stuff, it's still other things that we need to keep our eyes and ears on and we need to keep fighting the, the good fight 
onward, onward, onward. But um, certainly, certainly worth celebrating some of this for sure. Oh, and we didn't even really, that's, you know, that's the frustrating thing. (laughs) Sorry, no, that was, that would have been such a good conclusion, except (laughs) that I just realized (laughs) that we didn't, I mean, part of what's sucky about this election and this whole Mm -hmm. season that we're in, this Trumpian season, is that it's really taken some of the thunder and the excitement away from Kamala Harris for being the first woman, you know, the first African-American, Asian-American. American, like first woman Veep. So exciting and so moving to see um, just the long lineage of men and then to have a woman. It's really, it was a moving image to me. Oh, absolutely. This is our good thing, you know? Yeah. Um. (laughs) (laughs) This is intentionally, totally. Yeah, boom. (laughs) Sluttery weave. No, it's incredibly moving and seeing her up there in her white second power suit. Um, just delivering her message of what this means to her, what it meant to her mother and means to her family and, you know, what it just means to so many, what it means to women, what it means to black women, what it means to, um, you know, Asian American women. It's pretty, it's pretty magnificent. Um, It's the first not white man. Yeah. (laughs) There. Um, Excited to get to know her, her hubby, the first um, Jewish uh, spouse of a president or vice president. Mm-hmm. Um, excited to have a doctor and an educator in as a first lady. Yeah, who's not her quitting PhD. her day job. Snaps no, to Dr. Joe Biden. A lot of, and I think through the um, hopefully through the cabinet choices and things, we'll see a. And so far, it seems like it. I'll, um, uh, Kamala Harris's chief of staff is a woman she's worked with before who's a powerhouse and she's also a black woman and a lesbian. Um, I think we'll be able, we'll see more representation in this administration than we have. Um, and I think that that matters a lot and it's, it's good to see. And hopefully we can scrape our way to a woman president. One of these, one of these times. <laughs> wow. Hopefully. Oh my God. But yeah, no, definitely pop a bottle of champagne for Kamala. Yeah. Yeah. We got that. We're getting there. We're getting there. Change is incremental. There's often backlashes. Trump is creeping over. We're, we're, yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. Hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) Do what you can. Make a difference. (laughs) Focus on Georgia. That's the most important thing in the short term. Think about anything you can do. Money. Georgia on your mind. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll be back with you next week. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we'll have some sort of a giveaway that we'll send a, create a fresh peaches to someone who does a lot of phone banking (laughs) great idea what a good idea don't you guys want that awesome well have a great one (laughs) stay peachy